The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15 for our scripture reading this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. Thank you so much for joining us here as we kick off our brand new series entitled Habits of Grace. And throughout this series, we're going to really understand how we can enjoy Jesus ultimately and the grace that he has given us through these sacred rituals. But this morning, Pastor's going to come and he's really going to lay the foundation for what grace is in this morning's message. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, uh, starting in verse number 9, The Apostle Paul says, For I am the least of the apostles that am not meet. Now that word meet is not a word we normally use today in this context. In fact, other translations will often translate it as worthy. In fact, throughout the King James, you'll also see this word, uh, this Greek word here is translated worthy. So you could say that am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. And then we're going to watch another video that's going to kind of lay the foundation for some of uh, the series and what we're going to talk about this morning. And then Pastor will come with the introductory message to Habits of Grace. For me, a, a key understanding of the means of grace is just the words we used. They are means of grace. They are not means to grace. There are so many Christians who use the Christian disciplines, whether we're talking about prayer or scripture reading or fellowship with believers and the communion time that we have, the sacraments, all those things that go into our fellowship with one another and with God. And we often think of those particular elements as being some form of barter with God. You know, I will, I'll do this terrible thing. I'll read the Bible regularly and suffer through that so that God will be nice to me and the ogre in the sky won't hurt me. Now, that may sound impossible, but just, just listen to the way we talk to each other sometimes. Oh, I knew it was going to be a terrible day. I didn't have a long enough quiet time. In, in which case, we were evaluating the terrible things that happened or even the hardships of the day as God getting his pound of flesh out of us because we didn't do our spiritual disciplines right. Well, God isn't going to get his pound of flesh out of us. Um, His wrath was poured out on Christ completely for my past sin, my present sin, my future sin. There, There is no more getting pound of flesh out of me. Anything that happens now is for God's glory and for my good. And so the spiritual disciplines are not somehow manufacturing grace. I'll I'll pay God enough of this bad stuff that I don't really like or this discipline that I've got to go through in order that he'll be nice to me. I sometimes use the example of those who run marathons. And, you know, no matter who you are, you get to about mile 21, 22, you're going to open your mouth and start taking in some air. And you don't think when you open your mouth that you're manufacturing oxygen. You're taking in the oxygen that's already there. And when we are participating in the means of grace, whether it's scripture reading, where we're hearing what God has said, communing communing with God in prayer, where we're developing that close relationship, when we're communing with other believers, being built up by them as well as building them up, we are not manufacturing God's grace by doing that. Rather, we are feasting upon the grace that is already present, already been made available by him. And when I'm using Christian disciplines that way, not manufacturing God's approval, but rather I'm understanding how great is his grace toward me, then something that we've already talked about begins to build in me, and that is joy. 
and the joy of the Lord becomes my strength. As I read the scriptures, as I pray with God, as I commune with God's people, not just joy, but greater love for him. And it's, it's that love for him that's based upon his love for me. We love because he first loved us. That's what my Christian disciplines are about, not manufacturing grace, but feasting upon it, taking it in, that I am understanding more of his ways, his word, and his heart. And the consequence is my love for him grows. As my love for him grows, so does my willingness to serve, my desire to serve, my love to serve. It becomes my highest and greatest priority, not because I'm manufacturing his grace, but because the means of grace are reminding me, feeding me, helping me understand how great is his love for me. And so my life now is a response of love not some sort of barter or bribe to make him love me. If what you do in your Christian disciplines is you think you're bribing God to be nice to you, you may think you're doing a good thing. You're actually doing an awful thing. Christ is the affection of God spent in our behalf. To now think that we have to add to that is to say that the cross is not sufficient. When we are participating in the means of grace, simply to drink in the goodness, the greatness of God in our behalf, then what we're doing is we're truly honoring him. Old rubric of preachers is the right things for the wrong reasons are wrong. And you can read scripture and you can pray and you can go to church also that God will be nice to you to bribe him to somehow plug the celestial vending machine in the sky with enough nickels of your obedience that he'll do nice things for you. If that's why you're doing it, you're actually making God and Satan trade places. God says, I'm fully paid. Christ paid it all. Now I want you to know how great is my love for you so that you delight to walk with me. And the Christian disciplines are about building that kind of love in us rather than paying for his love for me today. Throughout this series, we're going to be studying Bible passages that deal with different sacred rituals. Uh, We're going to be dealing with everything from Bible reading uh, to prayer, fasting, church attendance, meditation, and uh, we're going to spend some time looking at how these sacred rituals fit into a gospel-centered worldview of Christianity. And uh, so we're going to dive into that here today. For a theme for this particular series, if we were to take the next eight weeks and boil it down to one statement that we want you to get. It's simply the one that we're going to throw up on the screen in just a moment, and that is this. Sacred practices are not about getting God to love you more. Reading your Bible is not about getting God to love you more or to bless you more or to favor you more. Sacred practices, prayer, Bible reading, church attendance is not about getting God to to think more of you. Rather, these sacred practices of Bible reading, prayer, church attendance, meditation are about getting you to love God more. See, it's impossible for God to love you more. There's nothing you can do to make God love you any more than he does right this moment. Sacred practices are about getting you to love God more. That is what's important. To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your soul, and with all of your mind. 
Each of these sacred practices that we're going to be studying over the next few weeks uh, will help us to experience God's amazing grace in much deeper, much more profound, and much more exciting ways than we are currently right now. I really believe that these sacred practices are going to help us to enjoy our Christian experience and relationship with Jesus more than we could ever imagine. And, and this, is what I, this is what I desperately want us to understand, that that is the role of sacred rituals, It is to bring us to a place where we can more deeply, more profoundly, and more thoroughly enjoy the grace of God and embrace what He has already made available to us. Why? So we can get Him to love us more? No. So that we, as His people, can learn and cultivate a heart that loves Him more. On the screens here, we're going to just dive right into it as we march through this passage that Pastor Nick preached a moment ago. Uh, But notice here on the screens, the Bible says it is in this passage, 1 Corinthians chapter number 14 and verse number 9. It says here, it says, uh, man, (laughs) I put it on the wrong page here. Um, 15 verse 9, there we go. He says, for I am the least of the apostles, that I am not meet to be called an apostle because I am persecuted the church of God. Notice this, verse 10, but by the grace of God, the grace of God, I am what I am. I want to start today and just take a moment to look at what grace is and uh, how it is we go about receiving grace. It's real foundational, but this will kind of lay the, seg- lay the foundation for where we're going, all right? Which leads us here to this first idea we're going to study this morning, and that is simply this, the presentation of grace. The presentation of grace. Uh, the Greek word for the word grace is charis. It's a noun. It simply means God's unmerited favor. It's as simple as that. Grace is God's undeserved, unearned, unmerited favor. A theological functional definition for it as it is used in the scriptures is a a spiritual energy affecting our inner disposition that is created by the Holy Spirit of God. So God's grace does something inside of us that then can have an effect through us. According to its definition, grace is truly grace when it is undeserved, when it is unearned, and when it is unmerited. Several years ago, um, my son Landon, who's my youngest, uh, he was about two or three years old at the time, and my in-laws had come to town and decided that they wanted to take the kids to Chuck E. Cheese. Uh, How many of you have ever taken your kids to Chuck E. Cheese or grandkids when they were younger? And so we took the kids, we went to Chuck E. Cheese there, and uh, while we were there, I was holding Landon, he's two and a half, three years old, and he was kind of leaning over my shoulder and kind of being a little fidgety, and we were walking around, and I remember at one point standing there, and as I was standing there, all of a sudden, behind me I heard these like arcade bells and whistles start going off and it kind of startled me and when I turned around I noticed that Landon had been slapping this machine and in his attempt to slap it he had actually hit one of the buttons on these particular games and and lo and behold whoever had used it before hadn't used up all the turns on this particular game and so as soon as he hit the button the whole game started turning on and going through everything and you know there was lights and whistles and buttons and things going around and and I'm just kind of 
watching it because it was one of these that were spinning around and you were going to kind of get to see, you know, whether or not you won. And so I thought, well, he's pushed the button. It's working. Let's see what happens. And it starts going around. And, and all of a sudden, it starts slowing down. And I realize, wait a second. And it lands, and he literally hits the grand prize, like the sweepstakes of all tickets. And just like that, these tickets start shooting out of the machine, just kind of one after another. And it was literally hundreds of tickets that are coming out of this machine. And I'm sitting back here like, wow, you know, he's just, he doesn't even hardly know what's going on. He's looking at this thing, all these tickets coming out. He knows tickets are good, but doesn't really realize all that's taking place. And, and we got those tickets, and, and he's a little two, three-year-old. He went, he cashed in those tickets, got his little toy. He was so excited. He was so pumped. And, and, and in a small way, that's a little bit of what grace is like. You see, Landon had done nothing to pay to play. He had done nothing to get involved. It was not his, but he got to reap all the rewards that were involved in playing that game. The reality is you and I did not pay for salvation. Jesus Christ gave it to us. It was undeserved, it was unearned, and it was unmerited. And yet we got to experience the big reward, you could say. We won the sweepstakes, if we can put it that way, in salvation and the person of Christ. God is not partial with who he offers his love and grace and favor to. It is not like, hey, if I read the Bible more, then I'm going to get more grace. I'm going to get more favor. I'm going to get more blessing. That's not the way it works. It's available to anyone who will simply receive it by faith. Ephesians chapter number 4, verse 7 says this, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. It's available to all of us. We see how this, is how the, this is how grace is presented to us. But let's keep reading here in our text. Notice what it says here in verse number 10. But by the grace of God, notice this, I am what I am. He says, he says in verse number 9, he says, I was a persecutor of the church of God. Uh, before I came to faith in Christ, I was literally persecuting the church. But he says, now, because of God's grace, verse number 10, by the grace of God, now I am what I am. I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ, which leads us to our second insight, the second idea that I want you to see from our text today. Not only do we see a presentation of grace, but I want you to see the potential of grace, the potential of grace. Just like in the Apostle Paul's life, it moved him from being a persecutor of the church to an apostle. Grace has the same impact in our lives today. There's an incredible potential that takes place in grace. As we embrace it, as we fully experience it, it has the potential potential to affect our lives in many incredible ways. In these two verses that we just read, there are three specific things that grace makes possible that is exposed in these passages. Now, you and I understand that grace does many things in the lives of the believer. However, in this passage, three are identified, and so we're going to take a moment, and we're going to look at the three potentialities of grace as they are revealed here in this particular passage, all right? So let's look at them one at a time. Here, first of all, it says in verse number nine that he was persecuting the church of God, and uh, then he comes to a place by the grace of God where he no longer is, which leads us here to the first thing that grace makes possible, and that is this. Grace, God's grace, helps us to overcome our past, much like it did for the apostle Paul. He went from a place from being a persecutor to now he was a place where he was an apostle. He had gotten past some of those things. In fact, later on in Philippians, he says, I'm forgiven 
forgetting those things which are behind. God's grace helps us to overcome our past. He says it again in 1 Timothy chapter number 1 and verse number 12 when he says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me, this is the Apostle Paul talking, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Notice this, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor. And then he goes on. He says, before the grace of God, man, I was a blasphemer. Before the grace of God, I was a persecutor. But because of the grace of God, I can thank Jesus Christ my Lord because that's not who I am anymore. God's grace gave me the power here to overcome my past. And I want to remind you today, that is when when you are in a place where you are fully experiencing the grace of God, you have the ability to overcome your past, not just in your behavior physically. I'm talking about overcoming your past emotionally. The reality is some of you are past your past physically. You're no longer behaving like you once did in your, in your physical actions, your past, but emotionally and mentally and spiritually, you're still hanging on to those things. You've not been able to get past those things. And the reality is due to the grace of God, he can give you the strength. He can give you the inner disposition of the Holy Spirit to get past your past, both physically, behaviorally, emotionally, and spiritually. This is one of the things that God's grace makes possible. One of the reasons that we need to experience grace more deeply is because experiencing grace helps us to overcome our past. This is why spiritual practices like the ones we're going to talk about over the next couple of weeks are so vital and so important because it helps us to experience the grace of God that will eventually allow us to move past our past physically in our behaviors in our thinking, in our emotions. And these spiritual disciplines will help us to experience more profoundly, more thoroughly, more deeply, more richly the grace that gives us the power to overcome our past. Notice what else grace makes possible according to this passage. Not only does it help us to overcome our past, but you notice what he says here, which in verse number 9, he says here, I'm, I'm the least of the apostles, verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. What else does God's grace make possible? By the grace of God, I am what it am. I am. Number two, God's grace changes our identity. Hey, we're all familiar with the Bible in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, we're a new creature. Grace has the potential to literally change our identity. Another reason why you and I need to more deeply, more thoroughly, more profoundly experience the grace of God is because as we are experiencing it, as we are embracing it more thoroughly, as we are enjoying it more profoundly, it helps to reinforce our new identity in Christ. The reality is sometimes maybe people in here, you, you have, you've got a mindset that is so locked into this is who I am. I'm an addict. I'm a gossip. I'm a this or I'm a that. And as you stir up the grace of God that is within you, as you are able to more profoundly and more thoroughly and more richly experience that grace, one of the things it does is it reinforces that new identity that you have in the person of Christ. What else does it do? Notice the end of verse number 10. He says, says, but by the grace of God, I 
labored more abundantly than they all, which leads us to a third potentiality of grace, and that is God's grace gives us strength to live effectively. He says, by the grace of God, that he says, I labored more abundantly than them all. He says, I was able to serve. I was able to live life effectively. I was able to follow God's will. Why? Because of the grace of God. You say, why are we going to be talking about sacred rituals? Why are we talking about spiritual practices? Because these are things in the life of a believer that will help us more richly and deeply and profoundly experience the grace that has already been made available to us. And as we stir that up within us, it helps us to get past our past. It helps us to reinforce our identity. It helps us to live our lives more effectively in Christ. This is why we need a fresh stirring, a fresh experience, a more profound embrace of God's grace in our lives. And what we're going to be talking about, these habits of grace, these sacred rituals, it is that which is going to stir this up in our lives. Which leads us here to our third thought, a third primary thought. We saw the presentation of grace. We saw three uh, potentials of grace in this passage. But I want you to notice here today um, that God's grace also does one more thing. Notice here in verse number 10. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. Now, I want to say this. It's not just the Apostle Paul that received this life-changing grace. The Bible says in John chapter number 1 and verse number 16, from his fullness have we all received, notice this, grace upon grace. John chapter number 1 and verse number 16. We've all received this grace upon grace. If you are in Christ, then you have access to all of God's grace. In fact, the Bible says it's grace upon grace. That's a a lot of grace. God's grace helps us overcome our past. God's grace changes our identity. God's grace gives us strength to live effectively. These are the potentialities of grace as we see in this passage. Let's keep reading through verse number 10. He says, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I but the grace of God which was in me, which was with me, all right? The presentation of grace, it's freely given. It's unearned, it's unmerited, it's it's God's gift. That's, That's how he presents it to us. The potential of grace, many, many potentialities. We saw a couple today. We saw that it has the potential to get us past our past. It has the potential to reinforce our identity. It gives us the potential to live more effectively in the life, the the world in which we live. And this is one of the reasons we want to see God's grace stirred up in our lives. It's one reason we want to experience it more deeply and more profoundly because it has incredible potential as it is realized in our lives. But notice this. I, I want you to see here. He says, I labor more abundantly than they all, yet not I but the grace of God which is in me. And this can sound a little contradictory, can it not? I mean, just read it. He says, I labored, but it wasn't me, it was God's grace. It can sound a little confusing. Um, is it grace or is it works? Is he, is he laboring or is it, is it God? And, and there's, this, there's this confusion, there's this contradiction almost that it seems. There's this, I'll say it this way, there's a tension that exists in this verse. 
And and how do we as believers manage that tension? Which leads me to the third aspect of grace. We saw the presentation of grace. We saw the potentialities of grace. But I want you to see thirdly here, the paradox of grace. Paradox of grace. You say, what is a paradox? The Bible says a paradox is a statement. I shouldn't say the Bible. A paradox is a statement that at first may appear opposed to common sense. But it's true nonetheless. It's a paradox. And so when we read here in verse number 10 of 1 of, uh, Corinthians chapter number 15, this is a paradox. He's saying, hey, I labored, but it was God's grace that worked in me. So uh, give me a moment if you'll allow me to illustrate the grace paradox this way. And this is what's going to segue into the series that we're going to be navigating through over the next several weeks, all right? Uh, let's use the illustration of a waterfall. So for this particular series, we've used the uh, waterfall here as a, as a picture of this habit of grace. And, and in a real way, God's grace is much like a waterfall. That is to say this. God's grace flows and flows and flows and flows with nothing on our part. We don't go up to waterfalls and say, hey, if I do this and I do that and I do those things, will it flow? No. Waterfalls flow. That's what they do. And I will say this, for those who are in Christ, his grace towards you is just flowing. There's nothing you have to do to get to turn on the waterfall of grace on your life. You say, well, if I read the Bible, maybe it gets the, it gets the water flow, fall flowing a little bit more. It gets it flowing a little bit faster. No. God's grace upon your life is always flowing, whether you read the Bible or whether you don't, whether you pray or whether you don't, whether you go to church or whether you don't. That grace is flowing every single day. There's nothing that can stop it. Why? Because it's not flowing for you. It's flowing because of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross of Calvary. That is what allows God's grace to continually flow and flow and flow. But I will say this. Though the effect of God's grace constantly flowing, its experience will not always be felt the same by every person in this room. You say, what do you mean by that? What I'm saying is simply this. You experience God's grace through faith. His grace is made available to all. We experience that by faith. So going back to our illustration of the waterfall, if you were, say, 100 miles away from a waterfall, I remember a couple of years ago, uh, we were on a mission ship with the Waddells and some others, and, and on our trip there to Puerto Rico, we went to the, a giant waterfall, and, and uh, Gabe had the great idea that he was going to dive in and swim out to the waterfall, and he gave other people ideas, and, and they had a great time, and they swam out to it. When we were 100 miles away from that waterfall, we couldn't experience it. It was flowing, but we weren't experiencing it. As we begin to hike toward the waterfall, after, oh, when we got about a mile away, we started to experience it with our ears. We could hear the waterfall, and so we were experiencing it auditorily, if we can say it that way, but that's all. As we got within about 100 or 100 feet of it, we started to experience it visually. We could now experience it with our ears, and then we were experiencing it with our eyes. Man, then all of a sudden, as we got within 10 feet of it, we started to experience in our bodies the, the, the flow of the waterfall and kind of the spray of it. We literally begin to experience it with our skin. 
As we swam out underneath it, we could open up our mouths and literally taste the waterfall. We were experiencing it holistically. And in much the same way, this is how God's grace is. God's grace is always flowing. God's grace is always being bestowed. But we are not always experiencing the grace that God makes available to us. Some of us are experiencing in a small ways. Others of us have positioned our lives to experience God's grace profoundly and thoroughly and richly. You're not conjuring up the grace. You're not creating the grace. You're not making the grace happen. You're simply exposing yourself and positioning yourself to experience the grace that already is available to you in Christ. And that's what this series is about. This series is going to God's word and saying, God, what do you have to say about how to experience your grace more deeply, more richly, and more profoundly? This is the paradox of grace. So I'll say this, and it might be on the screens. Sacred practices do not create more grace for us. Sacred practices will not create more grace for us. Sacred practices simply position us to experience much more profoundly the grace that has already been given to us. When you read your Bible, you are not creating God's favor upon your life. When you go to pray, you are not creating and manufacturing God's grace in that moment. By faith, you're simply positioning yourself to experience it more richly, to experience it more thoroughly, to experience it more profoundly. But you are doing nothing to earn it. You are doing nothing to merit it. You are simply positioning yourself to enjoy it more deeply. And that's what these habits of grace are all about. Habits of grace are about positioning yourself to experiencing the grace that's already been made available to you in Christ. In fact, Ephesians chapter number one tells us that every blessing, all blessings are yours in the person of Jesus. Ephesians chapter number one. They're all there. They're all yours. There's nothing more you have to do to earn them. But there are folks in this room and you're not enjoying the grace of God like you once did. There are people in this room and you are not enjoying your relationship with Jesus like you did a year ago. You're not experiencing and thoroughly embracing and enjoying the grace that was available to you 10 years ago and one year ago in Christ and now it's available to you and you're not enjoying it in quite the same way as you were even last month. And so what we're talking about in these habits of grace is how to position our lives to actually enjoy the grace that has already been made available to us. This is not about getting God to love you more. This is about positioning your life to love God more. How are we doing? I'll take this quote. If you could throw this up on the screens, guys, this next one will... Well, God often invades our lives with unexpected grace. And let me just park it right there because this is important to note. There are times where God invades our life with an unexpected grace. Literally, how many of you have experienced this before? Like the, the sky just opens up 
and his grace just rains down upon you. It's, it's unexpected, it's undeserved, it's unmerited, and you just out of nowhere, God's grace just flows. God often invades our lives with unexpected grace. He does it regularly. However, typically, that unexpected grace is not the grace that often or typically sends our roots the deepest. We love it when God invades our lives with these unexpected showers of his grace, but typically it's not that unexpected grace that sends our roots the deepest. It's not unexpected grace that grows us up in Christ. It's not always the unexpected grace that prepares our souls for a new day. It's not always that grace that produces lasting spiritual maturity and increases our joy long term. You see, this grace that does all those things is often the ordinary and unspectacular grace that flows from the faith-filled effort that we put into sacred practices, such as spending time in the Bible, spending time in prayer, being involved in corporate church gatherings, it is often the faith-filled effort that we exert in positioning ourselves under the waterfall of grace that often causes the roots of our lives to go down the deepest. It's what we would call the ordinary and unspectacular grace that flows to us as we position ourselves under the waterfall of grace through simple things like Bible reading and prayer and church gatherings. I've only been a pastor for a little under 15 years and I'm thankful when God's grace rains down and and just totally overtakes somebody's life in just very unexpected ways. But I will say this. The families and the marriages where God's grace seems to be most experienced has been in those families and in those marriages that are regularly positioning their lives to experience the ordinary and unspectacular grace that just flows through faith-filled efforts like Bible reading and prayer and coming to church faithfully. There is a promised grace that you experience in very profound and thorough ways through these sacred rituals, through these sacred practices that help you when it's done in faith. This is big because it's possible to go through sacred rituals and not have a heart of faith. You can just go through the motions. We all understand that. But when it is done with a heart of faith, with a heart of expectancy, believing that this is a means, that's sometimes why it was referred to a moment ago as a means to grace, this Bible reading and prayer is a means to experiencing God more deeply and experiencing his presence more profoundly. And it's in these unspectacular flows of grace that we, that we really do often plant our roots the deepest. And I've seen this firsthand. People are just faithful to church, allowing a heart of faith-filled prayer and faith-filled Bible study to just be a normal part of their daily lives. It's amazing how God's grace does some spectacular works in the unspectacular habits, unspectacular rhythms of just basic Christian living. 
So here's the takeaway. I want to encourage you, I want to encourage us through this season to prioritize sacred habits that stir up your affections for Jesus. Here's the word, prioritize them. Can I ask you, mom and dad, what sacred habits, what spiritual practices do you prioritize in your family that stir up your affections for Jesus, that help you to experience God's grace more profoundly, that help you to enjoy your relationship with Jesus more profoundly. There's a lot of habits. There are a lot of things we can prioritize in our lives. But I'm asking you this question, what sacred habits, what spiritual rituals, spiritual practices are you prioritizing in your family and in your marriage and in your personal life that is helping you to enjoy Christ more and experience his grace deeper and more thoroughly? It's sad for me, as it is, I'm sure, for others, to see otherwise good Christians begin to prioritize lesser things, and before they even realize it in the life of their family, in the life of their teenagers, in the life of their kids, and even within their marriage, their affection for Jesus has begun to cool the way they used to enjoy their relationship with God is not, they don't enjoy it the same way. They have lost the joy of their salvation. God's grace is still flowing to you, my friend. It's still available. The problem is many of us are just not experiencing it. We're not enjoying it like we once did. And so while God continues to love you in that state, and he continues to pour out your grace in that state, You're not enjoying it like you once did. You're not positioned to experience it. You can still hear it every once in a while from a distance. Maybe every once in a while you get close enough to see it. Maybe you you get the overspray of grace and you can feel it. But I'm I'm asking, are, are, are we prioritizing sacred habits that deeply and profoundly allow us to richly experience and enjoy and embrace all of the grace that God wants to make available to us. Are we prioritizing that? Because if we don't, day by day, week by week, our heart begins to cool. Yes, God's love for us stays the same, but our love for him begins to wane. And as a result, we're not experiencing the fruit of the Spirit like we once did. We don't enjoy the things of God like we once did. We've lost the joy of our salvation, and we think, man, God's just distant, and we beg God. We try to bribe God. God, man, just pour out the grace right here, and God says, hey, I've... I've already promised, there's areas where I've promised just my unspectacular flows of grace. It's my word in prayer, the church. My grace is, my grace is there. But we're a people who want to see the spectacular, the miraculous, and, and yet we don't just regularly avail ourselves to the everyday grace that God promises to use to deepen and enrich our lives. He's given you the church for that reason. 
He's given you one another for that reason. He's giving you his word for that reason. He's invited you into prayer for that reason. He's giving you those opportunities. Not so he can, well, control your life, but because he wants you to enjoy him the way he can be enjoyed so that you can have life and life more abundantly. Somebody once said, we form our habits and then our habits form us. The heart posture is so important to this. We, we don't, we're not here to try to bribe God somehow. That is not the posture of the heart as we move into sacred rituals. Well, God, I'm going to read my Bible today, but you better make my boss be nice to me. And not this effect of like I, driving home, I can't believe what happened today. I prayed after all. Like that reveals a mentality of, of theological bribery. And it's not scriptural. The posture of our heart is not to get something from God. The posture of our heart is to experience God himself. We experience him in his word. So when we go to work and our, our boss is being a total just ah, frustrating jerk, we can have peace with that. That's, that's the grace that God wants to make available to you. He wants you to experience it deeper than you did last week. And to spend time in prayer getting to know his joy because he doesn't just give joy, he is joy. And as we're experiencing him, we experience his joy and then when we get home and things don't go our way, guess what? We can still be happy. Because we are experiencing the source of joy. We don't need everything to go the way we want in order to have joy. Our joy is not dependent on something lesser than Jesus. This is not about trying to bribe God to do something. That's not what sacred disciplines are about. They're about just getting to know your creator more and more and more. So here's how it's going to work. Next week as we continue through this series, Habits of Grace... We're going to just look at how developing some of these sacred practices uh, can help us to experience more deeply, more profoundly, more richly the grace that's already available to you. And so next week, we're going to just start with the Bible. And we're just going to kind of unlock what do the scriptures say about how we can experience the Bible, how we can engage the Bible in such a way as to experience God's grace more richly in our everyday lives. And we're just going to kind of march through it. And then next week, we'll talk a little bit about prayer. We'll talk about fasting, and we'll talk about some of these spiritual disciplines and how, how to ha- what's the right posture in engaging these spiritual practices so we're not t- trying to turn God into some type of cosmic vending machine, getting mad at him when he doesn't, you know, do what we want him to do. But what's the right posture of our heart as we kind of move through these spiritual disciplines? Because I will say this, there is a wrong and legalistic way to move through spiritual disciplines that can cause much damage depending on your mindset as you move through them. And so we want to lay a proper foundation. How, now, the goal is not just to avoid them altogether. Oh, we've got grace. God's good to us. His favor's upon us. I can just avoid. I don't have to read my Bible. I don't have to pray. I don't have to go to church. I can prioritize everything over than Jesus. No, that's not the answer either. Because in, in that, we totally miss out on deeply experiencing all the grace that he has available for us. And that's what this is about. This is about getting our hearts in a place where we can love God more and enjoy him more and experience him in deeper ways. And spiritual habits and habits of grace and, and these sacred rituals, we, we, God's word promises to, to cultivate that. And so we're gonna unpack that over the next few weeks. Don't miss next week as we dive into just this idea of habits of grace as they revolve around God's word.
Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.